Well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I'm Wesley, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad that you are here. We are um, continuing our Renovate series this morning, as you can see from our... Um, our stuff that's out here, and it's been here for now four weeks, and this series will soon be over, and our, uh, our guys will have no more excuses for not doing work around the house. And so they, they have, I've gotten a couple of requests for us to continue this series for another four or five weeks, um, but I'm sorry, we can't, we can't do that. Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I have a couple of announcements uh, for you this morning. Uh, one is that we're having a church picnic next week. Um, and everybody's invited. It's not just for kids. Um, we're going to immediately after our service, right out here, um, we're going to have a picnic. We'll have food. We'll have games. We'll have maybe some entertainment if somebody wants to dance or something like that. Um, we'll have an Easter egg hunt for the kids, um, and so it'll be plenty of fun. And an Easter egg hunt for the adults, if you promise not to push anyone over. It's the only requirement. But uh, we will, we'll be here after service. So invite a friend. Um, and come prepare to just have fun and to hang out after the service and to have lunch with uh, some people. And then the other announcement is um, we're, we're doing this, um, so we're beginning a new series on Easter. It's called Driven. And it's, the question is, why does God do what he does? Or why did God do what he did? And so we're asking that question, and we're going to dig deep into that question for three weeks. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the gospel, we're going to look at um, goodness, and we're going to look at grace. Um, as things that motivate God to do what he did. Um, and so we did a, a, if you go to Jamie's Facebook and now also the Tri-Cities Church uh, Facebook page, you'll see the cover uh, photo advertises our new Driven series uh, that will be starting on Easter, and it says Starts Easter. And so we're just asking that you will change your cover photo um, for the next two weeks to reflect the new series that we have. Um, we were reading a, um, a statistic just this past week they said, and I'm not sure exactly what this means, but they said more than 9 out of 10 people will come, will come to Easter, an Easter service, if invited. I'm not sure exactly what more than 9 out of 10 is, if that's like 9.5, but this was the statistic. So more than 9 out of 10 people will come to an Easter service if invited. And so we want to invite people because we believe that Easter is a time for reconnecting with God and reconnecting and connecting, sometimes establishing an initial connection with God and seeing God transform lives and, and work through lives for all of life ahead. And so we want to see people here um, connecting with God. And so if you would, change your uh, Facebook cover photo to the Driven series that will start on Easter. And uh, last, next week will be our last week in this renovation um, series. We're going to be wrapping it up. As some of you know, um, renovation will be happening here this summer. Uh, in, at Hapeville Elementary, they will be renovating this space and we'll be, no longer be able to continue um, having our worship gatherings here. Um, and so renovation is a good thing, as we've been talking about. It transforms spaces. It makes them more functional in our lives. It helps us to live into its uh, uh, purpose and full potential. And it'll do the same thing for this school. So renovation is a good thing. We're not, uh, we're not lamenting renovation, but we are looking for a new location. All right. We're not lamenting renovation. We're looking for a new location. Um, and so uh, we, are, we are in the middle of that search, and so um, we will have a good place that we will meet um, hopefully by the beginning of April, and we'll begin talking about that and announcing that. I just ask two things from you. If you know of a good space in the Tri-Cities area, anywhere in the Tri-Cities area, let us know um, because we are, we are open. We're looking for a space that will allow 
Tri-Cities Church to continue to grow and gain momentum and, and, and be a community that worships and fellowships together. And then um, the second thing I would ask for you is for prayers as we, uh, as we just wrestle through different options. Um, there is a such thing as a good location and a bad location, right? Um, there's a such thing as a location that positions us to reach people. Um, more people for Christ. And so we're praying that God will uh, open our eyes and help us to see which location is best uh, for the future of Tri-Cities Church as they renovate this space here. All right. Somebody asked me if I, if I decide, decided to preach this sermon series because they were renovating this space and doing renovate sermon series. And that's, not, that's just not the case. It, I just didn't think about it until the person asked me like a couple of days ago. But um, so let's wrap this up. Um, we'll be wrapping this series up next week. If you will, pray with me before we, um, before we get into the message. God, we're thankful for um, this morning and um, the opportunities that you give us to gather here and to worship you in this space. God, we just ask that you come and be with us, that you dwell among us, that you speak to us through your scriptures, and that you open our hearts, that you give us um, new ears, that we can hear them in a new way, that we can understand them in a new way, that we can be changed and transformed, that we might be the people that you are calling us to be, that our hearts might be um, changed, the very core of who we are might be changed by your word. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're talking about work, and the reality is that no renovation can be completed without someone doing some work. You see, renovations don't just happen. Right? Somebody has to make them happen. Someone has to get dirty. Somebody has to do the work of a renovation. Now, in the first week or the second week, we talked about the vision for renovation, that a vision is essential to completing a successful renovation, that it doesn't begin with demolition, but it begins with vision. Now, you can have, though, the clearest vision, and you can have the best design, but unless somebody's willing to do some work, the vision for renovation will never, ever ever be realized. It just won't happen. A vision alone does not complete a renovation project. It takes, it takes someone that's willing to work. And then last week, we talked about the tools for renovation, the fact that there's different tools that serve different purposes. And you remember the rules for tools that we, that we had last week? They only work when they're used. They work best when they're used properly, and they can be dangerous when used incorrectly. And we looked at two tools, uh, rule, two tools for renovation in our life. One was the Word, the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, as we read it, as we engage it, as we, um, as we study it, God begins to renovate our lives. He begins to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, and our lives are transformed as we not only read the Word, but remember, we allow ourselves to be read by God's Word. We make ourselves vulnerable, and we ask that difficult question, what is the Scripture saying, not just to the people that it was written to, but what is it saying to me in particular? particular? What is it saying to my life and my particular situation and where I am in my life? And then we looked at worship as a tool for renovation, that the church has always been a singing community, and that as we worship God, God meets us, and we're meeting with God, and we're able to offer our lives up to God and say, God, take my life and let it be used all for your purposes. And, and that's, a, that's a neat thing that we have these tools for renovation. But just imagine with me for a moment, 
if I were to have this vision, this blueprint for renovation, and, and it was all drawn out, and I had it on a, on a piece of paper or this tablet that I could flip through, and I had the plan, the vision for renovation all completed, and then I had all these tools, right? And I have on this tool belt, this big leather tool belt, and I have my hammer and my tape measure and my nails in that tool belt, and, and, I, and I'm just totally ready to complete this renovation project. And I walk out of my house and go up the street to Drip Coffee Shop and just sit there all day. Right, big tool belt and all, hammer, tape measure, all this stuff around my waist, leather belt, and I'm just sitting there drinking coffee the whole day. It would look pretty silly, right? I would look foolish. People would be wondering, what's this guy doing? You know, even though it's spring and I know these neon greens and all these colors are in, even though it's spring and bright colors are fashionable, even if I painted that tool belt green, right, it just would not look right for me to go sit and drip coffee shop with my tool belt on. And so the scriptures are saying, yeah, we have the vision. Jesus is our vision for renovation. That as we read the scriptures, we learn about who Jesus is, and he is our vision. And when we have Jesus as our vision, we can count the cost, right? We talked about that. We can dream God-sized dreams. We can um, live into God's story. And then when we have these tools, we're ready for renovation. We're ready to do some work. And so this morning, we're talking about the work of renovation, because the reality is we have the tools, we have the vision, and now God is calling us, God is calling us to work. The reality is we're all in need of renovation, every one of us. No one is exempt from that. I'm in need of renovation, you're in need of renovation. Our lives need to be transformed. Now in the church, it's common for us at times to construct this or create this kind of sinners and saints dichotomy. We, we like to separate, or we tend to, maybe not like to, but we tend to separate where we have these sinners and then we have saints. And we have sinners are those who live the wildlife, right? They, they've been out, they've partied hard, they've drunk too much, they've been a bit too loose, they've done things that aren't pleasing to God, and it's so obvious, their sin is before them. Right? And then we like to say that we have these saints. These are people that grew up in the church and they didn't drink too much and they avoided the nightlife and they come to church regularly. And, and so we, we have this tendency to create this sinners and saints dichotomy where there's these sinners on one hand and saints on the other who feel as though they deserve to be rewarded because of the good things they've done. But the cool thing in the scriptures that Jesus does is Jesus doesn't hold back, right? He, he likes to say things, what's on his mind, and he speaks the truth, albeit he does it in love. He speaks the truth to both those categories of people. But he has some very strong words to those who think they fall in the category of saints. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 23. Verse, uh, verse 27. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the inside, on the outside, but on the inside you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He's saying, hey, look, these saints, these so-called saints, these people that feel like they have their lives together. Yeah, you look beautiful on the outside, good show, but you're not exempt from renovation. There's some stuff going on on the inside. There's something going on in every individual's life, and Jesus is calling us out for that. And he's not letting us off the hook. 
You know, I love the fact that when you read the scriptures in several places, especially in the New Testament, they have these sin lists. There's list of sins that, um, or, or actions that dishonor God. There's these lists, and sometimes they're kind of long. But I love the fact that when you read through those lists, that every time, at least for me, every time I read through those lists, there's something on there that I struggle with. There's one in Galatians chapter 5, and this is one of the most um, popular ones that's read there. And it says this, it says, Galatians 5 verse 19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you notice what Paul just did there? He put those who are selfish in the same category with sexually immoral. And he puts those who envy in the same category with people who are having orgies, right? He doesn't see this kind of, this dichotomy, this breakdown, this ranking in sins. He's saying, yeah, you aren't let off the hook. You are not allowed to have this sinners and saints dichotomy. Because I know for myself, there's times in my life that I struggle with envy, right? There's times in my life that I struggle with a number of different things on that list. And God is running down that list and saying, hey, you aren't off the hook. There's not a sinners and saints dichotomy. There's not this, this contrast, sinners on one hand, saints on the other. We all, especially in the church, fall into one category, and that's those who are being transformed for God's purpose. That's those who are moving forward. And so Jesus literally obliterates, that's, that's the strongest word I can think of this week, obliterates, destroys, tears down this, this contrast, this divide that we create in the church that says, yeah, there's some people that grew up in the church and they've been living this holy life and they have the right to feel their saints. And then there's others that come to the church after living this wild life and feel, the right, and feel like they don't fit in. The scriptures tear that apart and says, no, we're all together. Um, and the, that's one of the reasons why the scriptures talk so much about community. There's a community that is pursuing God, and that is the church. It's a community that's moving forward towards God, towards a relationship with God, and that is the church. There's a community, as Hebrews chapter 12 that we looked at last week says, that has their eyes fixed on Jesus, and that is the church. And we're not focused on the past and the mistakes that we had and the struggles that we've dealt with. We're focused on Jesus and moving forward in Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 3, and this is Paul writing here. He says, I, and this is verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying we're moving forward in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And this is Paul saying this. He's this guy that wrote half of the New Testament. He says, I have not attained it. I have not been made perfect. I still have my struggles, but I'm part of a community that's committed to moving forward in Christ Jesus, and I'm not focusing on what's behind. I'm not focusing on yesterday. 
I'm not focusing on the mistakes of my past. I'm focusing on Christ and being what he's calling me to be. I heard this definition this week. It says, a saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. Right? A saint is a sinner that does not give up, that stays focused on the goal, that says, though I fall, I will get up. Though I've made mistakes, I will keep going. Though I have a, a dark and shady past, I'm allowing God to transform me and renew me and make me new and allow me to walk into my destiny, walk into the future that God has planned and prepared for me. And so we're talking about renovation because the reality is the church is a community where every single one of us is under renovation, where God is doing a work of renovation in our lives. Now, in week one of this series, we said that renovation is about transforming the spaces in our lives. It's about welcoming God and working with God to see the spaces, the areas of our lives transformed. Renovation is about offering up ourselves to God. I love that song that the worship team sung that said, um, I just want to be a sacred space. I just want to be a dwelling place, a holy temple, a tabernacle for you. That's saying that I want you to be close to me, God. Simply saying that. I want, to be, I want you to be close to me. I want you to be a part of my life. Everything that I am, God, I want you to be a part of my life because I'm offering it all up to you. Now, the biblical word... Um, for sanctification, um, it, or for renovation, is sanctification. So we're talking about renovation, but when you, you'll, you'll never see this word renovation in the scriptures, right? But if you look in the scriptures, you will see this word sanctification. It's the biblical word for renovation. It's what we mean as we talk about renovation. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. It says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And, and in that matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother and sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject human beings, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so it's saying here that sanctified in this community, in the Thessalonians community, and I would argue in our community today, means to avoid sexual immorality. It means to learn to control your own body. It means to do things with your body that is honorable and pleasing to God. And so the scripture is saying, yeah, that God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be renovated, and that doesn't just happen. We have to work for it. We have to strive for it. We have to work so that our lives are pleasing and honoring to God. And then at the end of Thessalonians chapter 5, it says in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It's saying let God transform the depths of your soul to welcome God into these deep, dark places that you've kept hidden for years, the places that only you know about and no one else knows about. Allow God in those spaces, and may he transform you through and through. May renovation not be something that happens on the surface. It's not maintenance. It's not about cleaning up. It's not putting on a good show. It's about letting God in so that God can transform us. 
Now, I think in our second week of this series, we talked about this guy, Wayne Grudem, his definition for sanctification. This is one of my favorite definitions because it really helps me. It's really blessed my life, and it's helped me to understand what it means to be in relationship with God. And so I want to take that definition, and then I want to work our way um, from the end of that definition back to the beginning. It says this. It says that sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I believe we have that definition up there. Yeah, the progressive work of God and man or human beings as we work with God to make us more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. And so we're going to begin there at the end where it says, like Christ in our actual lives. Because that's the purpose of renovation. As we invite God into our lives, the goal is that we will be like Christ in our actual lives. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This is Paul writing. He says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And so the first step to becoming like Christ, to experiencing renovation in our lives, is um, knowing Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. And there's a difference between knowing him intimately and deeply and knowing about who he is. And so Paul says, I want to know Christ because if I am becoming like him in my actual life, there's no way around it. I must know him. I must get to know Christ who he is, so that I might allow God's renovating work to transform me, that I might be like Christ in my life. You see, in order to know Christ, we must, in order to be like Christ, we must know Christ and we must know ourselves. We got to know who we are in light of who Christ is. That means that the scriptures are always calling us to take a deep introspective look at our own selves, to not look around. And this is one of the reasons why the scripture is so Um, clearly and and frequently condemn those who are judgmental, who are constantly looking around at other people's lives and not looking in at themselves. The Bible is saying, yeah, this is a difficult thing to look in and see what's going on in our own lives, to take this introspective look, to examine ourselves frequently. But in order to experience renovation, if we're becoming like Christ in our actual lives, we have to not only know Christ, but we have to know ourselves. We have to know what's going on in the depths of our heart. We have to know the thoughts that are going on in our mind that are not like Christ. We need to know the things that lead to actions that are dishonorable to God. We don't just need to know the actions, but we need to know the things that lead to those actions. We have to be honest with ourselves and look down in the depths of who we are and examine ourselves and see what's going on in our lives. And our, as we do this, we, we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. And the Bible's always pushing us to this idea that this renovation is not about just changing our morals, but it's about changing our minds. It's about allowing our minds to be transformed by the gospel, about working with God to see our minds transformed, because what happens here typically plays out here, right? What's going on in our head is typically what's going to go on in our actions. What we think leads to our actions. In Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Allow your mind to be changed. Allow something to happen here and not just here. Because if we try to change our actions first, it will just end in striving and striving and striving. We have to say, God, I realize it's in my mind. It's the way that I think. Come in and change my mind. Change me from the inside so that I might be different on the outside. You know, this word repentance, and sometimes it's used or it's frequently used in the scriptures, I think 50 or 60-something times, and we use it a lot in the church. This word repentance, if you actually go back to the Greek word that's used there, it's kind of cool. It's metanoia is the word, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A is the word. If you divide it right down the middle, it makes two different words that we're fairly familiar with in English. One is meta, the word we get metamorphosis from. Right? We think about metamorphosis, at least I think about caterpillars. They turn into butterflies. They, they, metamorphosis talks about a change that happens. And then the other word is noia, which is kind of a derivative of, a, of the Greek word nous, which means mind. Um, we get our word paranoia from that, paranoia. So metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. Paranoia is a disorder of the mind, right? And so this word metanoia means a change of mind. Literally, the scripture is saying, have your mind change. Repentance is not just about an action. It's not just about turning in our actions. And a lot of times that's what we focus on because that's what we see. But the Bible is saying God's not just calling us to change our actions. He's calling us to change our minds because it's when that happens that we begin to live for Christ daily. And so anytime we read in the scriptures and we see this word repentance, it's not saying, hey, God wants you to do something different with your life. Or God wants you to act in a different way. It's more God wants you to think in a different way first. And then what you think will begin to play itself out in your actions. And so renovation, as we become like Christ in our actual lives, that begins in our mind. And so renovation is the progressive work of God and man to make us more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. It makes us more free from sin. And that's a key. I was watching this, um, it was Kitchen Cousins this week. And I love these uh, HGTV shows. The, the best part for me is when they begin the renovation and they come in with these huge sledgehammers and they just start tearing stuff up. And they, they start just breaking down walls. And I'm thinking, I wish I could do that in my house. I think I would tear up something that was, uh, that it was like a structural and my house would come crumbling down on me or something like that. But, um, but these renovations begin with a sledgehammer. And I love to see these shows where they do this. There was this one guy on there this week, and he was just having so much fun. He was watching the guys do the renovation, and they were tearing his kitchen apart. And he asked them if he could use a sledgehammer. And he took it, and he bashed this cabinet. And he started giggling. It was this huge guy. And he starts giggling. And he says, y'all actually get paid for this, right? This is so much fun. It is stress relieving to, to smash stuff and to bash it. But what, what was interesting, though, in this show was this guy was in love with one part of his kitchen. He had this butcher block island in his kitchen that he was absolutely in love with. Now, he hated the island, but he loved the butcher block countertop. And so he asked them to transform his entire kitchen, but keep this butcher block countertop for his island. And so they changed everything. They changed the cabinets. They changed the lights. They built him a new island, and they kept that one butcher block countertop, and they put it on top of the new island. Because the reality is, when we live with things the way they are for a long time, we develop attachments to our things. We develop attachments to our habits. 
We develop attachments to our way of life, and it's hard to let it go. And so while this guy said, yeah, I need a renovation, I need a totally new kitchen, he said, well, yeah, not that, because I've developed attachment to that butcher block countertop. And I began to think to myself, that's sort of the way we are in life. Right? We live with things. We live with actions at times that are dishonoring and displeasing to God. We do things and have a lifestyle at times that's displeasing to God, but we've developed an attachment to it. And we're holding on to it, and we're able to say, yes, God, come renovate my life, but don't touch that. Leave it just the way that it is. And God is saying, no, I want to renovate every part of you. I want you to surrender everything that you are, every part of your life to me. And so this definition says we become more free from sin. And the reality is this does not happen overnight. The reality is this is going to take, and what was our saying? It doesn't happen overnight, it happens over life. It begins to happen more and more in our life as we learn to trust God and we surrender things up to God and allow God to bring renovation and change in our life. And so I want to challenge you this week to ask yourself this question. What's standing in the way of renovation in my life? What's the one thing that I'm still holding on to that I'm saying, God, you may touch this, but not this. Or you may change this area of my life, but not this area of my life. This is off limits. This is not for you. I've had this with me for too long, and this is what I'm going to continue to hold on to. What's that one thing? And I want to challenge you to offer that up to God and saying, God, take my life and renovate it, all of me. Take this from me and change it that I might be more like you. The other thing this definition says is that renovation is a partnership between God and human beings. We said the first week that renovation is not a do-it-yourself project. God isn't saying, hey, yeah, go renovate your life. He's saying, let me work with you as we work together to see transformation happen in your life. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This fear and trembling is like an idiomatic phrase that means like reverence or respect. So continue to work out your salvation with this reverence and respect for who God is. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And so it says, continue to work out your salvation, but yeah, God is working in you. Continue to work out your salvation, but you're not doing it by yourself. That God is with you, that he's working in you, that he's ultimately the strength, the power behind the renovation. He's ultimately empowering renovation in our lives. That, must mean, that means that we must learn to live as though God was visibly with us all the time. That God was sitting right next to us in these chairs. And that no matter where we are, God is with us. Now, I'm not saying that we live as though God is with us, and so because God's sitting next to us, we're on our best behavior, right? And we sit up right, and we try to do the right things, and we try to behave. We live as though God is with us, trusting that God is one who already knows everything about us. He already knows all about every one of our struggles. And not only that, he has not rejected us or condemned us, but he's offered to help. He's reached down to us and offered his help. And so, yeah, if God's sitting next to me and I'm grieving, I'm asking God for help. 
If God's sitting next to me and I'm feeling weak in this certain area of my life, I'm asking God to work with me that I might experience renovation. I'm not trying to pretend as though God doesn't know because the scriptures are already telling us God knows everything about us. That's one of the reasons why I love the Psalms. Because when we read through the Psalms, the psalmists, these songs they write to God are totally open. They're totally exposing their lives to God. Every gamut of human emotion is exposed there, from fear to um, anger to frustration to joy and happiness and sadness. All these things are expressed to God in song. And it's not a way of saying, um, God, I'm um, I'm trying to just tell you about what's happening in my life. But the psalmist is inviting God to do something. The psalmist is saying, God, this is what's happening in my life. This is what I'm going through. I'm going to tell you all about it. And I'm not just telling you about it to inform you. I'm telling you about it to invite you into my life, to work with me, to bring about change, to renovate my life. And so when we read the Psalms, and sometimes you see David writes in these Psalms and he exposes himself before God, he's not doing that just to put on a show. He's doing that because he recognizes that he needs God's help. And as we read through the Psalms and as we read through the scriptures and as we go through life, the reality is we are called to expose ourselves to God because God already knows everything that's happening. He knows everything that's going on in our life. And when we come to God and say, yeah, God, this is what's happening in my life, we're not informing him. We're inviting him to come and work with us to bring about renovation. And so the scriptures, when it says, yeah, God, we are, we are the God's sacred temple. We're God's dwelling place. They're saying God is with us. God is there to help us. God will bring transformation. Live as though God is there. And the reality is when we live as though the invisible God is visible, we make the invisible God visible. God will become visible to those who are around us through our lives. As God works in our lives, the God who is invisible, the God that we cannot see with our eyes, will become visible to the world because God is at work within us. And the scripture is constantly teaching us that we're the physical representation of God. Then the final thing that, in this definition from Wayne Grudem, is that um, it says sanctification, renovation, is the progressive work of God and man or humans. It's progressive. It's happening over time. It's a lifelong process. Now in the scriptures, there's always this already and not yet yet motif that runs throughout the entire scriptures. There's always this idea that there's some things that God has already done, but God's work has not yet been completed. And so we're already saved in the scriptures, but we're still being saved. We're already sanctified, but we're still being sanctified. We're already converted, but we're still being converted. In other words, God's work in us is not yet finished. It's already begun, but it's not yet over. Renovation has begun in our lives. Most of us, or many of us, can say this, that I'm not where I used to be. I'm moving forward in Christ, but I'm not where I will be. There's still a work that's happening in my life. This is already, but not yet. It's running throughout the entire scriptures. And it's saying, yeah, God is doing a work in this world, but we've yet to see what all that work means. And God is doing a work in my life, and I've yet to see what all that work means. Because it's a progressive work. It's happening over the course of time. And the scriptures emphasize the need for us to stick out this process of renovation. 
to stick it out and not to give up because it is a lifelong process. It's progressive. It's happening. That change is taking place, but we must stick it out. I love the way the scriptures continue to emphasize this idea of standing firm. I just want to read for you several scriptures where it comes clear. In Luke chapter 21, it says this, You will be betrayed by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And this is what um, Jesus is saying to the early church. Some of you be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. In Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, it says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us And by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And it says resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So he's saying, stand firm in God. This is a progressive work. And yes, there will be difficult moments. Yes, there will be times that you'll feel like quitting and giving up. But the scriptures are constantly reemphasizing the need for us to stand firm, to plant ourselves, to root ourselves in God, that we will not be moved by trials, that we will not be moved by hardships and suffering. Because the scriptures say those things are coming. That difficult times, hardships, yes, they're coming. But stand firm because God is doing a progressive work of renovation in your life. So I want to challenge you this, this morning as we move into a time of communion. Um, and that's the name the biggest thing you're struggling with in your life right now to God. To name that thing silently to God. And to offer it up to God and say, yes, God, this is what I need work on. This is the area of my life when I need you to come in and work. This is that thing I've been struggling with for year after year after year. And I find myself falling and I find myself growing weary. And I find myself wanting to quit and wanting to give up. In fact, God, I've just placed that out of my mind. I've let it go. I've placed it back here. And I don't think of it anymore because I just have come to the belief that's something I'll struggle with for the rest of my life.